Welcome to Mother's Guide Through Autism podcast. This podcast is to inspire, support, and build community for mothers raising children with autism. I'm Bridget Shipman, the host and creator of the Mother's Guide Through Autism. This podcast has been inspired by my son, Joseph, who's been living with autism for the past 28 years. Today, I'm speaking to Marissa Scott. Marissa has been helping children and families journey through life's challenges for 10 years. As a board-certified music therapist in New Hampshire, she's created the Santina Center with the dream of housing several creative art therapy modalities under one roof. She has a master's degree in music therapy and she is certified as a music therapist and birth doula. She has completed extensive training through sound birthing music to be a music therapy assisted childbirth specialist. She has 10 years of experience working with clients with autism, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, learning disabilities, seizure disorders, sensory processing disorders, traumatic brain injuries, and Williams syndrome. She specializes in helping infants and young children of all abilities build communication, social, motor, and cognitive skills necessary to thrive through music therapy and play. She is passionate about helping families during pregnancy, birth, and the early years while they navigate their new and ever-changing family dynamics. Wow, what a great bio. I am thrilled to have Marissa here as a guest on Mother's Guide Through Autism. Welcome, Marissa. Hi, thank you. I'm super happy to be here. Oh, I am just thrilled reading your bio. What a wealth of knowledge that we are privy to today. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. I, um, so I'm just going to dive in because I, we have so much to talk about. Would you, would you tell us your background and what made you decide to become a music therapist working with the special needs community? Yes, definitely. Okay. So to go way back, um, music has kind of always been a part, a big part of my life. I, I love music. I was, you know, a dancer when I was a young child and I studied piano, all those things. Um, it just kind of, both of my parents, uh, they just really, you know, always had music going in some kind of way in our house. So um, it's kind of always just been there. When I went to college, I knew I wanted to study music and I ended up studying um, music composition. Um, and music history. I, I knew I wanted to study music, but I, I also knew I didn't want to teach it. It just, um, it just didn't seem like teaching was really the path that I wanted to take. Um, and I was just really fascinated with the power that music has on our emotions. I don't know if you've ever um, tried watching a scary movie without sound <laughs> before I, yeah the music is big time that warns me to cover my eyes <laughs> yeah exactly so if you take the movie if you take the music away then the music isn't as just doesn't seem as scary or even even the sound effects and so 
I don't know, I've just always found that really fascinating. And then, you know, when you're growing up and you're, you're connecting to, you know, any certain song and at any given moment, you know, maybe you're connecting to certain lyrics and you're like, oh, I can really relate to that right now. Now, I just have always been really fascinated by these musical kind of effects on our emotions. And so I I wanted to explore that, but I just didn't, you know, I didn't know how, like how to make that a profession. And I hadn't heard of music therapy yet. So um, I just kind of went through, went through my college degree um, you know, learning about music and the historical context of music. But after college, I didn't really know what to do with that um, because I just couldn't, I couldn't name music therapy as a profession. I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't have a name for what I wanted to do. But so I started nannying and um, I worked for a family that had some young children. And um, I noticed very quickly that I was using music a lot. So I was using it to, so I was using it to play. Uh, we were playing, you know, music games with the kids. And then um, I was using it a lot for, you know, soothing and comforting, that kind of thing. But then I also noticed that I started using music, like I would make up these little songs to help them transition. Um, the kids were a pretty different, different ages. One was seven and one was two. And so the two-year-old would sometimes have a harder time, like moving from one thing to the next. So I, I, um, but could be pretty motivated by music. So I would start being like, let's march to the car. And like, I would make up this whole song and, and it was really helping. And so I started kind of like looking around for like how I could use music more professionally. And, you know, was there any kind of additional training I could do on what I was how I was using music in this way. And that's kind of when I found music therapy as a profession. So I I love that story. Yeah. (laughs) Because what in my previous uh, career, I I mean, I still feel like I'm teaching, but there were, you know, so many kids that would struggle, not know what to do with their gifts and music being your gift. And then finding out is just like this, organic path led you to doing this powerful work that you're doing. Yeah. It just, I didn't have, I didn't know that music therapy existed. And there were so many people that were, I, uh, you know, when I finally found it, that were like, oh yeah, you know, I went to music therapy school right out of high school. And I just, I, you know, I could say, I wish that I had, I had known, but I also don't know. I don't think I would have changed anything. I think that I needed to, Um, maybe work with that family and kind of like really solidify what it was I loved about music and, and, and how I wanted to use it to, to find exactly what it was that I wanted to do. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I think it worked out exactly the way it was meant to work out for you. And, you know, there's still, um, I, I know what music therapy is, but I didn't know. So For those um, moms listening out there, could you tell us what is music therapy and also how does it work? Yeah, definitely. So music therapy is an allied health profession and you probably have heard of other allied health professions like speech therapy or physical therapy um, or ABA therapy. Um, Those are kind of, I guess, more commonly spoken of than 
Um, but it is an allied health profession similar to those kinds of therapies. So the official definition um, is that music therapy is an evidence-based and clinical use of music interventions to accomplish individual goals within the confines of a therapeutic relationship. And that's a kind of a a mouthful. So so let me unpack it a little bit, um, that definition. I really like to use the image of an equilateral triangle um, when I'm talking about what music therapy is and how it works, um, where one point of the triangle is the client. um, And then another point is the music therapist. um, And the third point is is music therapy. And so the music therapy doesn't really exist without the client and the therapist. And then in that space between where they all connect is the therapeutic relationship and the progress that's made on goals. And I feel like all of those things really need to be in place in order for it to be music therapy. Um, I love that. Um, I just um, <laughs> did a little drawing of it just now, and I just I'm so visual. I love that. That's a great way to explain it. Yeah. And so in the you know that lofty definition I gave you, I said the word interventions, and so those are really those are just the experiences that the therapist is offering to the client during the session. And so we have you know, broad categories of interventions that would be like singing, playing instruments, um, moving to music, songwriting, listening to music, um, and then music creation. So writing music and doing improvisation. Um, Those are kind of like broad categories that interventions, so you might, if you're doing a singing intervention, a good example would be like maybe you're doing call and response singing where I sing a line and there's an expected response for you to sing back to me. Okay. So that would be like a kind of intervention. And then, but, and the goals are, are not musical goals. So we're not playing an instrument. We're not playing the piano. The outcome isn't to learn how to play the piano. The outcome might be um, to further develop fine motor skills or to kind of work on more, more like cognitive things like, um, you know, motor planning and visual tracking, those kinds of things. So there's some more, you know, broad goal areas there with like social emotional development, um, expressive and receptive communication. We work on a lot, finding gross motor skills. uh, And then we can also work on more cognitive sensory or behavioral goals as well. So then how it all kind of works together is, so a a client might come in to um, see a music therapist for the first time. And usually we do what's called a music therapy evaluation. And so the music therapist is going to facilitate kind of a series of interventions to get an overall picture of this particular client, like what their strengths are and what their needs are in regards to the music therapy setting. Um, And then From there, they would also, if it's a child, then we're also talking to mom or dad or whoever the caregivers are um, to kind of gain some information on, um, you know, more of those strengths and needs. And then we'll create what's what we call the music therapy treatment plan. And so that kind of has your SMART goals. They're specific and measurable. Um, 
And from there, we just, uh, we see, we just start doing the work. So, you know, often our clients come in at least once a week. I have one client who has music therapy written into their IEP and I see them three times a week. But, you know, typically you'd see a music therapist just once a week. I'm taking it all in because I, I was just, as you were explaining all this, I was just thinking, wow, I wish I would have had this for Joseph. Of course, you know, that wasn't available. We, we did the other therapies um, that are pretty typical, but there wasn't music therapy back then um, yeah. in the 90s. And so, yeah, as you're talking about this, I could just, I just think this would have been such a great tool for him. Um, so I can only imagine the cool stuff that you see. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I get so many moms that want to know, gosh, the, the, the heartache, uh, my child's not really talking, or they just say a few words or um, fine motor skills, large motor skills. There's a, a million different uh, sensory things going on with the kids. Um, so why do you think that music therapy uh, is helpful for children with autism? What, what have you seen? Well, I think a lot of the neuro, neurological components of autism really have a lot to do with why music works. And so there's, there's a lot of research that exists on music in the brain. And there's also a lot of things that we still don't know about the brain. Um, and all of it is fascinating to me, but um, we do know that music stimulates both hemispheres of our brain, not just one. Um, so where language is processed in one hemisphere of your brain, um, but music stimulates both hemispheres. So there's a couple examples of stroke patients who um, have had a stroke in the um, hemisphere where language is processed but they can still, and so they're, they don't, they've lost their ability to speak, um, typical speech, but they can still sing. And so there's really interesting, you know, research on how the music therapy has helped clients kind of bridge those hemispheres back together, sort of like refiring those neurons, um, creating a bridge from one hemisphere of the brain that is working to a hemisphere where the, where the stroke happened for example. Mm -hmm. um, we also, you know, music really stimulates all of our senses. We can, we don't just listen to music, we feel it. It's, um, it's very tactile because the sound vibrations, whether we experience them or not, um, like we're, whether we're aware of them or not, I guess is a better way to say it, uh, is, um, you know, we're, we're, we're receiving those vibrations and the tactileness of them are hitting our skin and our nervous system. And sometimes individuals with autism, they're less able to, or they, they don't filter out things the way that we do. Um, if you think about like a fluorescent light, person that does not have autism might just filter out the fact that that fluorescent light is constantly flickering. Um, and somebody with autism might not because that filter 
doesn't work the same way. Um, and so that might be something that they're really noticing is that flickering. Um, it's the same thing with music is that music um, just stimulates all of us in different ways. And so those are some kind of like important things to take into consideration. It can be really motivating and calming. It can be really powerful. It can also be really overstimulating and harmful. Um, so it's just really important. Um, music therapists are, are specifically trained on how to use it intentionally so that we're being really aware of our clients' responses and if they're negative or positive responses. Yeah, that makes sense because I, I was just thinking, you know, if you have a child um, and Joseph very early on um, was very sensitive to certain noises, right? So he would do covering his ears or, you know, it, it was very uncomfortable for him. So mm -hmm. those are the kinds of things you're, you're talking about, right? Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, a lot of the research that's been documented so far has kind of like outlined some outcomes of music therapy benefits for people with autism, um, you know, increased attention, um, decreased agitation, increased socialization. And so one of the things that that I know is um, can be a really huge benefit, especially for music therapy and people with autism, is that when two people are making music in the same room, it's immediately, it immediately becomes a social experience. So one individual is ultimately influenced by or, or just affected by the other. Um, and the nature of music, it really encourages communicative behavior, which individuals with autism often find it difficult to interact with others. So um, music can kind of be helpful to encourage some of that communicative behavior. So let's say two people, one with autism and one therapist, and they're playing an instrument. And um, the ind one individual might be saying, you know, I hear that person playing at the same time as me, and I don't like it. I'm going to play louder, or I'm going to use words and express them that I don't like it. And so, so that that nonverbal, just the act of playing an instrument is the kind of encouraging communication. Um, or they may be saying, wow, I hear that person playing and that sounds really cool. I wonder how I can do that. Like, what if I do this? Does that, does that do that? Or um, what, what I'm going to try and copy that sound. Um, and so by kind of introducing that instrument to make music with, um, it, you know, the, the music therapist's job in that instance is, is really giving that person an opportunity to kind of expand nonverbal communicatory, communi oh, that's a terrible word, <laughs> communicative relationship. Yeah. Um, I think I just made up a word. Communicatory. Well, and yeah. what's interesting is I knew exactly what you meant. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's it just it just creates an you know that connection and um the other person who's also playing and then then they can have like this back and forth thing like if I do this how does that change what the other person is doing and even if the person the autistic person is at first like initially just bonding with the instrument and maybe not not as aware of the other person that's playing, um, eventually that sound is going to permeate and, and there's going to be 
some, there's going to be awareness of, oh, wait, what's that sound? Okay. If I do this, does that sound change? And so the therapist can kind of like bridge, bridge out that and expand that relationship all non-verbally, all through music, all with musical cues, with, you know, the volume and the tempo and um, all of those kind of elements that make up music. How fast is it and how slow is it? And using all of those things to, to help expand that musical conversation. My, I mean, what I'm envisioning, my hunch is that you see a lot of great success. And I was wondering, you know, if I'm a mom out there and I'm looking to um, invest in music therapy, um, what, what are some of your success stories that you have to share? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of successes, um, you know, both with children with autism, with children of all different kinds of needs, really. I think one of, one of the biggest successes that like immediately comes to mind is using, like using music as a social story. Um, are you, do you know what a social story is? Yes, that's one of my, honestly, my favorite tools that I use. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so music, so there was a, uh, using a social story of, we use a hello song. And so in the music therapy session, a child had an opportunity to practice greeting, um, greetings in this, using this hello song with um, the music therapist. And so there was like practicing and practicing and practicing. And then the song kind of sticks with the child. So then outside of the music therapy session, the parent was able to use, you know, cue the child, like, let's, let's sing our greeting song and let's try practicing it in outside the therapy session. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, walking around the neighborhood and, you know, the parent reported that the child was able to, you know, smile and say hi, um, which were some of the skills that were kind of presented in the greeting song, in the hello song. So that was really good to hear. Like, it's good to hear feedback from parents about how they are taking what the child is learning in music therapy and practicing it at home and outside the therapy session, because it doesn't do anybody any good if the child is just going to be learning their um, things here and only using them here. They, the skills really need to, you know, generalize to the other environments that the child or person is visiting or being in, living, you know, school, home, um, just at the grocery store. I've seen, um, I've helped kids with some, so many different goals, but, you know, a seven-year-old who, you know, is beginning to initiate verbal greetings with his parents and siblings. Um, and this is a child who, you know, is seven and hadn't, um, hadn't yet, started, you know, hadn't yet initiated, ever, ever gone up to mom and said, hi, mom. You know, it was more of like a mom would say, hey, so-and-so, and then it would be a, you know, a response. But so just like using that social kind of a social story through music that's musically modified to kind of work on that initiation piece, which is really difficult. Yeah, it really is. So, um, for those of you listening that don't know what a social story is, 
it is a, um, a great tool that I've talked about on other podcasts. Um, so make sure you, you look for those episodes and I'll post them for you guys. So don't worry about that. But in a nutshell, a social story is a very um, short story about five sentences long for the younger kids. And then for the older kids, of course, they get, they, they get a little bit more in detail and maybe um, a little longer. And it's just simply taking the child through a very simple directive way of I, I will look someone in the eye, I will smile, I, you know, whatever it is that the, that you're wanting your child to do with communication or whatever you're working on. And I just want to do a little side note of that because I can see how if I did a social story with Joseph about introduction, introducing myself, that I would read that social story maybe, I don't know, before I, I come to music therapy and then you can just reinforce that. Is that kind of how it works, Marissa? Yeah. So, um, well, so let's say the social story, we're, we're modifying it, right, to use music. Um, so it's like a musically modified social story. And so the, the music part is is really important because similar to how we most people learn how to their, their alphabet, right? The melody is helps you kind of remember the words. It's you, it's kind of like a mnemonic device. Mm-hmm. So we sing A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Maybe if you're like trying to remember what letter comes next, you might actually sing that in your head. Um, I do that sometimes. Um, But so that's kind of how the the music works in this scenario too. So the melody helps the child remember the parts of the social story. So if it was, you know, for a younger child, if it was those five things, um, first I look in their eyes, then I smile. but each one is set to a specific melody, then the melody is what's going to help the child. So being able to practice it in the melody, and then eventually um, it becomes, it just becomes more memorable to the child. And then when you take away that mem- that melody, then the child can do kind of what we might do with the alphabet song, which is like in your head, you're like, okay, first I to do this and okay and then you like just kind of, it becomes more automatic yeah and I, I can see how that would work for adult autistic people as well yes yes we work with a lot of adults here mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, and so a music therapist role in that will be um, helping to create a melody that works for that specific um, event. So whatever, whatever it is that the social story needs to be about, the music therapist would want to write the melody to go with, you know, obviously the language needs to be simple so that it can be memorable. Um, and we don't want it to be too complicated. You don't want the melody to be too complicated either, because then it won't, it will be hard to memorize. That's kind of what the role of the music therapist would be in that situation is making, uh, coming up with what melody is going to be simple and easy to remember for not just the child, but also for the parent who's going to be, or the guardian, whoever's going to be helping this child keep using this in, uh, in places outside of the therapy session. 
in my mind, imagine how many different ways I, I would have used that, right? When these are such great examples and I would guess it's endless on the benefits. Yeah. And just some, another, another success that, um, that I've seen is we, we um, offer groups here too. And the groups have just been really positive and really, um, you know, like a safe, non-judgmental space. And I've seen um, teenagers with really low self-esteem or low self-confidence from maybe being bullied at school. I've seen them come into music therapy groups and end up developing really meaningful relationships with peers um, and um, just really building their confidence and like a positive sense of their own self-worth. And that is like gold to me is, is seeing somebody say, oh yes, I am awesome. Uh, and to develop that inner sense of I'm an awesome person is just like what every, what I want every single one of our clients to leave with. That's the treasure for any of us, right? A lot of our, our kids really, really struggle with self-esteem. So yeah, that is gold. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So if, if there's moms out there listening, and I, I know you guys are thinking, Ooh, I, I want this for my child, right? Because I, I know for myself that anything that I thought was going to move Joseph forward, even if it was just the tiniest, tiniest step, I was all in. So moms listening, if they're interested in music therapy uh, for their kids, where, where should they look? Um, okay, yeah. So definitely they can go to the um, cbmt.org. Um, which is our board certification agency. And so on that website, they have a find, a find a board certified music therapist link. And so you can go to like their search and you can put in your state. Um, you could even put in your town. Sometimes I like to just put in the state. There's that thunder. Did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sometimes I like to just put in the state and then you can kind of hit search and it'll show you all of, it'll bring up all of the music therapists that are board certified in your state. Um, you can also, so the CBMT is probably the first place I would go, but you can also go to the, to musictherapy.org. And that's kind of our national association for music therapy. Um, and you can find that too, but the only ones that are listed there are going to be members. There may be music therapists out there that are board certified that aren't necessarily members of the association. So, um, so there might be more than are listed on that second one, but they have a find a music therapist link as well on their website. And same thing, you would just type in, you know, I live in Chicago, so I'm going to put that in. Right. I, I, yeah, that, that's really handy. And it sounds pretty easy. Okay. So I'm at the website. You see all these therapists come up. What do I look for? Now what do I do? <laughs> Perfect. So it's a great question. So first of all, the, I think the credentials are really important. Moms are going to want to find a music therapist who has the MTBC credential. And this means that they have completed at least their bachelor's degree in music therapy, um, if not a master's. And they've also completed a clinical internship of over 1,200 plus hours. So um, supervised hours. So they've 
they've completed that. And it, it also means that they've sat for their board exams and that they're currently practicing um, and using or, or participating in continuing education. So they're, they're constantly getting new information to keep their certification. And so the reason that that is, is super important, the, the credentials, is that music therapy-specific training involves, part of our training is learning to recognize um, signs and like of, our, of when our clients are not responding positively to an intervention that we're doing. And as I said, like music is really positive, it's really powerful, but it can be really harmful, especially if you have, you know, if you have a child who becomes, can become really overstimulated really easily by a lot of sensory input. So the, a person who's not trained as a music therapist might not recognize those signs and might just keep going and keep pushing or something like that. Um, so you really want to make sure that that the training is there. Um, and then there's also other therapists out there. Um, music therapists don't own music. So there's expressive therapists who maybe they use music in their therapy, but they're not specifically music therapists. Um, and there's also like therapeutic musicians out there and they, you know, do those are kind of the the professionals that you might see playing relaxing music in the waiting room of a hospital or something, but though they're also not trained as music therapists. So I think really just making sure that they have that credential is really important. And then the second thing that I think moms should really look for is that not every therapist is going to be a good fit for your child and not every person is going to be a good fit for that therapist. So really, I mean, it's okay to shop around because the therapeutic relationship, as I mentioned, it's a really important part of that triangle. So like any therapist, you want them to be a good fit for you and your family. You want someone who's going to, you know, openly and effectively communicate with you about your child um, and their changing needs. And you want a therapist who's on the same team as you, not somebody who's going to tell you what to do. You want somebody who's going to be your partner in their care. And so I really recommend doing kind of an in-person consultation first, if possible, with the music therapist that you find in your area, just to get a feel for like what that relationship will be like. Um, you know, different therapists are also going to have different approaches. So I know some music therapists who take a real strong behavioral approach to therapy. And then a lot of music therapists also really focus on like more of a neurological approach. Approach. So you want one that aligns with you and your family. You know, my personal approach is kind of, it's eclectic. It's a combination of like person-centered and relation-based. So with a child with autism, I'm on the floor with them. I'm following their lead and I'm using whatever they're leading me with to, to address um, and create pathways towards whatever goals it is they're working on. Every therapist is really going to have their own approach. So a consult is a great way for you to kind of get a feel like, is this somebody that I could see myself working with? Can I talk to this person? Can am I might comfortable? Do I feel? That's great information because, you know, it, it's very hard to know what direction to get, go to, what questions to ask. How do I know I'm doing the right thing? So that was great, great information. And for, for the moms listening out there, don't worry. I'll have the, uh, the websites that Marissa has mentioned. We'll, we'll have those resources for you guys, so no worries. Uh, a lot of the moms, okay, out there, 
we're um, trying to find these therapies and some of us have great insurance, some of us do not. <laughs> what what if, if someone wants to apply the principles of music therapy, but like they really can't afford to pay for the therapy, what are some of the things that they can do at home on their own? And can you give us a few examples? Yes. Before I, before I give you a couple examples, um, I'm definitely glad you asked this question because it's, it's probably one of the most frequently asked questions I hear a lot um, because therapies are expensive. And when you have a child that needs multiple therapies, um, that can be really tough. So I, I really encourage moms to kind of be an advocate for their child. If you think that if, if you think your child's going to really benefit from music therapy, but funding is kind of an issue, there are some funding resources out there for you to explore. And the first one that I just want to mention is that music therapy is considered a related service for a child with an IEP, um, just like speech therapy, just like physical therapy, it's a related service. And so all, all parents, um, I don't know if, if um, they know this or not, but I hope that they, well, they will now, um, but all, all parents have the right to request an evaluation from their school district. So if you know, for example, like if your child's more motivated to do something when there's music involved. So if you find that you're like, it's time to brush our teeth, but the only thing that's going to get us up the stairs is if we sing our way up the stairs, that might be a good time to bring up the idea to your IEP team and make that request and say, hey, my kid is really motivated by music. I want my child to be evaluated to see if music therapy could be beneficial and um, at helping them reach their IEP goals. And so that is one, just, you know, kind of one resource that, that a lot of parents don't know about. They, they don't know that they can say, hey, I want this. And this, you know, the school really does need to take all parents' requests into consideration, even if it's just for the evaluation. And maybe the evaluation will end up saying, you know, well, it's not going to be more beneficial than anything else. So they might, but, but at least to like give it that chance, mm -hmm. all parents have that right. And then some private insurances do cover music therapy, depending on what state you're in. A lot of states have a disability waiver through Medicaid that will also cover services. So those are kind of some things that I would definitely suggest exploring first, because, you know, if we go back to that triangle, you can't really apply the music therapy without the therapeutic relationship. Mm -hmm. That being said, there's a lot of ways you can use music at home and be really intentional and purposeful about the way that you use it. So I talked about using music for transitioning, like moving from one activity to another. If that's a problem in your home, then music can be great for it. So for example, if your child's playing with some Legos and you know the child's really into the Legos and doesn't want to stop, but you have to get ready to go to a doctor's appointment and you don't want to be late. You can make up a song about Lego time being over um, to help kind of make that transition easier. Giving time to make the transition is always beneficial, but it just kind of gives them some, some extra time and the music really helps reinforce the fact that something is changing. And then, you know, you can use music for soothing and relaxation, just like we sing lullabies to babies. You know, music can really shout out, hey, this is a calm environment. So, um, if, you know, if you walk into a room and there's like calm, quiet music, you're, you're immediately going to feel, oh, 
this, I might want to speak in a lower voice because there's like this calming music on. It kind of really just sets the, sets the precedent for how the environment is. That can be really helpful if you want to like use it as like a, a container or blank, like a sound blanket. And then I think just remember too that, you know, we talked about how music can be powerful, um, but it can, and it can trigger some tough emotions. Um, so I think just if you're going to be using music to be using it, just be really aware of how you're using it. Um, you know, you don't want to put on like uppity fast music when you want your child to be like calming down and getting ready for bed. You don't, and vice versa, like if you're trying to motivate your child to get up and get moving, you don't want to have like really calm music on. And, and um, preference is really important too. So like, I really like the sound of um, acoustic instrumental guitar music, but Jim next to me might not, you know, they might hate the sound of guitar music. So you, you don't want, that's not going to calm them down if they don't like the sound of that instrument. So you really want to be like, just be really purposeful and be really aware of how your child is responding to the music that you've chosen. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is great. So I'm, I'm sitting here thinking if I was at home with Joseph and I had a social story written for him because he had a hard time transitioning when we were in the car line, you know, going to school Mm -hmm. and he didn't know that there were other people behind us that needed to get to work. (laughs) So it was a social story really helped him with that. And I can just see myself making up a little melody with the social story that we just read before school to help him with that transition. I love that. Yeah. And if you don't, if you're, if you're somebody that's like sitting here listening to this being like, oh my gosh, she wants me to what? Write a melody? Like, I don't know how to do that. That's where you can borrow one. Okay. Most people know Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. um, And that's a really easy melody to fit to a lot of different things. Um, There's, um, there's just a, a lot that you could do with that one song. Um, or just, you know, you're, you're, it's not like you're going to be publishing it and selling it. So you <laughs> use music that you already know um, and, and just use like the main part that you know of it. Like you don't have to use a whole song. You can just use like the, the chorus, um, you know, ants go marching. <laughs> we all go marching up the stairs to bed. <laughs> Maybe you don't want to use that before bed, but you know what I mean? Like you just pick the song you already know. Um, you don't have to rewrite, you don't have to write a song. And that's absolutely what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> I would pick a, some of my top favorite tunes or something that I, I could see Joseph relating to. And definitely that's what I would do. That's a great mm-hmm. suggestion. Um, these past 10 years with all the experience that you've had, what do you think as you reflect back that you've learned from working with children with autism? I think just that there's no one single approach or type of therapy that's really best for a person with autism. You know, there's no, there's no clones of human beings. So we're all individuals. And so, you know, ABA therapy is going to work really well for one person and maybe for another, but that doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody. And the same thing goes with music therapy. You know, music therapy might really benefit some people, but it might not benefit someone else. And so I think just keeping an open mind 
is one of the things that, that I've learned and being able to say, Hey, you know, I'm not benefiting this client. Let me recommend some other things. Um, because it's, it's not, um, it's not about me. It's about this person who I want to help. And if music therapy isn't benefiting them, then, you know, we're going to come out and say that. And so like really getting to know the individual person, you have to, to be able to help them with their goals. I, I always like to say that, you know, music therapists don't treat autism. Um, they, and I don't think you really want a music therapist who says they treat autism because it's not the autism we're treating. We're treating the challenges that they're working on. So maybe they have difficulty making social relationships, um, those kinds of things. We're tr- those are the, the things that, that we're treating. We're not we're not treating the autism. And so I think just really keeping in mind the individualness of, of each person is like, um, and how different everybody is that I just know that there's, I don't, any evaluation that I do for children, um, adults, it's like starting from square one every single time. I'm not like, oh, here comes someone with autism. I know that I'm going to do this, this, and this. And so there's, there's, there just is more, not one single approach. Yeah. And my son, Joseph, has said that so many times is if you've met one autistic person, you've met an autistic person. So well, they are all different and they have beautiful personalities. And I, I love that approach. I really do. And I hope if you're a therapist listening out there <laughs> that you heard that because- uh, I do too. <laughs> so what is, what is your advice for autism moms? Okay. Uh, I would say that for, for an autism mom that you know your child best. And I think, you know, trust your instincts when it comes to choosing what therapies feel right for your child. Um, but I would at the same time, and I also say, you know, give music therapy a try. I don't think trying it can be harmful, but then trust your instincts. And if you feel like it's not working out, then, you know, you can say that you know your child best and you know your child better than any therapist really ever will because you are with your child more. And so also trust your instincts when it comes to like choosing a therapist, because again, I'll go back to what I said earlier, just make sure that you feel like you can talk to this person and that they're not telling you what to do because that that's not helpful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Marissa, is there anything that you want to mention before we go? I don't think so. I, you know, if anything that I have talked about today has really elicited any more questions, people are more than welcome to just reach out and email me um, and, and ask, you know, any follow-up questions that they have. I'd be super happy to elaborate um, on anything that I've talked about. Great, because that leads me to my next question. (laughs) Where can they go to find out more about your work and to connect with you? Yeah. Um, So you mentioned I'm in New Hampshire and I have a private practice called the Sonatina Center. Um, And so they can go to our website, which is just www.thesonatinacenter.com. And the other cool kind of thing, I mean, cool, but not cool, Um, is since the start of COVID, um, we've started offering remote therapy. So, you know, really we can 
we can do teletherapy, telemusic therapy for anyone that's anywhere in the world. Um, and so we're offering that in addition to our other services that we have. Um, and that's pretty cool. Um, we're also, we have a Facebook page. Um, you can follow us on, on there if you're a social media user. Um, we're just facebook.com slash the Sonatina Center. And we also have an Instagram page, um, instagram.com slash the Sonatina Center. Great. Yeah. COVID has really put us, many of us, into this uncertainty mode. But as I work with clients as well, there are, uh, there's opportunity in everything. And I will tell you that where I live, and again, if, if you're in a rural setting and there aren't um, musical uh, or music therapists out there, especially um, with the credentials, to have you to be able to, you know, reach out to you and have you work with our kids, I just, I mean, for people like me in areas where we don't have all these uh, wonderful opportunities, yay. I think that's just really one very positive thing and that's come out of it. Yeah, thank you. I, I agree. I have to agree. I think we've all had to kind of adapt and find different ways of being with each other in the world. And, you know, there, there has not been a lot of positivity that's come out of this, you know, with all the illness, but and, 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 and honestly, nothing can really replace that in-person connection that we have with people. Right. Um, but in place of it, for now, we can still make music together through the internet connections that we have. Yeah, for sure. And one day when we're all, we, we've, we get to the other side of, of all of this and we will, hopefully you might have this ongoing for um, rural areas where people can have um, you as a therapist, I hope. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, because I, I just think it's such a gift. When, when you guys listen to, and uh, some of you haven't, so if you haven't listened to the introduction of the podcast, I've, I've had to go lots of places <laughs> to get Joseph help. So um, it, it's just wonderful, wonderful that we can get in touch with you. Yeah, I just I feel pretty lucky that I found this field that like I just I love coming to work. <laughs> I love doing the work that I do and you know at the end of the day I go home to my family and I I'm happy because I have a, like really, you know, and it's sometimes it's really hard work and it's challenging but but I just love doing it. So um I'm always really happy to talk about it to anyone that has questions. Well, I can tell you're very passionate about it. You have really been just at, just given us uh, so much wealth of information and things that we can go out and do. And I know mom's listening out there. The good news is you can re-listen to this <laughs> and get your notepad out and, and make the notes that you need for your kids. Marissa, thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and expertise to help all of us, every one of us uh, that is living with autism, but especially to the moms out there. You are welcome. And I'm so thankful that you guys joined us. If you've enjoyed this podcast, 
please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and share it on social media. You can download my free guide, Five Things I Wish I Knew, Raising My Son with Autism, by going to my website, bmvlifecoach.com. Also, please join our Facebook group, which is private Facebook group, Mother's Guide Through Autism, to get support. I'm sending you all hope and love. Stay well, stay safe, and thanks for listening.